1: going on everybody this is colin with everyone it's elliot and today this is episode number 48 where we are going to be interviewing the one the only jay weber
0: jay how are we doing fantastic guys thanks for having me on great to uh great to be here with you and call you and elliot rather yeah right on cool so for
1: those that don't know you jay uh, why don't you give us a quick bio of uh yourself here
0: so I uh, grew up in New England, been kind of athletic and liked sports. Hold my whole on, life. hold on.
1: Where in New England here? Come on.
0: Oh yeah. For <laughs> for those, you know, hitting close to Colin, uh grew up in southern New Hampshire, Bedford, right outside of Manchester, spent my uh, days in Manch Vegas, uh, living the dream. <laughs> All right, sorry. Good um, to
1: clarify there. Go
0: ahead. Yep, yep. <laughs> my old stomping grounds is Colin's current stomping ground. So <laughs> That's right. Um, but yeah, played, you know, pretty much every sport, uh, kind of except for football or basketball. Cause I'm a wee little lad, so I would have been the football or the basketball, <laughs> but pretty much played every other sport, swam, water ski, snow ski, kind of everything, just anything outdoors to keep myself out of trouble. Um, moved to Southern California for 12 years after college. And that's kind of where I got the triathlon bug of, uh, you know, sports with ADD, right? You didn't have to focus on one specific one. So it was kind of great to just keep training on a bunch of different sports and got into the sport in 2009 with uh, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society and team in training. Uh, started in officiating in 2012 when the ITU races came to San Diego and they needed a bunch of volunteers. So I got involved with the sport with ITU in 2012. Started my uh, USAT and Ironman officiating that year as well. And now living in Boulder, Colorado, I'm the head official for Ironman in Latin America. Uh, I do a bunch of ITU officiating as well. I still race, quote unquote race. I'm not nearly like Colin. Um, And I work for Base Performance. Uh, so I've been in the industry for almost a decade as well. Um, uh, yeah, who else have you worked for? Huh?
1: Who else have you worked for?
0: Uh, Xterra wetsuits and Rudy project.
1: Yeah. Um, She's definitely been in the game and a whole different from all kinds of different angles, right? Yeah. So, so
0: officiating and racing and, uh, being in the industry, working with it. So, um, and now I, uh, you know, thanks to COVID I'm skiing a ton and <laughs> training for triathlon a little bit here and there, but, uh you know, looking forward to racing, getting going again. So I can see all my friends.
1: Yeah. Right on. Cool. Cool. All right.
0: And, um,
1: how, what, uh, what's your preferred distance?
0: I like short course. I, uh, I love sprints. I love to just light myself on fire. Uh, I wrestled for 20 years. And so, you know, a six minute match was a long day. (laughs) So when people are like, Oh no, it's only an hour. I'm like, that's a really long day. Um, but, you know, just going full gas and lighting myself on fire for an hour is is my favorite kind of fun. Um, if I'm going to be at an Ironman, I'd rather be either on the back of a motorcycle or cheering on all my friends who are going way faster than I do. <laughs> uh, that's cool, good deal. Uh, but you have wait, have you done a full or no? I know you. Yeah, some- <laughs> in 2011, I did Ironman Canada on the uh, on the original course in Penticton. Right. So I did the. 29th anniversary of the of the race um it lasted one more year before going to uh whistler and then now it's back in penticton but elliot knows
2: Uh, (laughs) well i'm excited to do penticton now because i never got to do that course and whistler was probably my favorite i mean i've done that one like five times so
0: that's awesome (laughs) yeah Yeah. Penticton's great from a racing standpoint, because you don't have to see the same thing twice ever. It's a one loop swim, a one loop bike and an out and back on the run. And yeah, I've heard some amazing stories about that course. So it's gorgeous. It's so fun. Um, You know, and it's, you know, like so many Ironman courses, it's really one that the, 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 the local, the locals really love it when you show up, like, they're sitting out on their lawn chairs on the run, cheering people on, spraying people with their hoses. Like it's the whole community gets involved. It's, it's an awesome place to race.
2: So I'm curious. So you're an official and this is a one loop bike course. So you're covered, you're having to cover 112 miles. I mean, is that, does that make officiating harder?
0: It makes it, it doesn't make it harder um, because what would typically would do is one of two things. Um, one, either have zones right? So I would have, I wouldn't do, I wouldn't officiate the whole 112 miles. Yeah, I might go out with the pros and at mile 50, I loop back to mile 40 and I just hang out in mile from mile 40 to 50. Okay. Um, yeah. The other, the, the, the other place where we might do it is if I have the front of the pack pros, I'll do the full 112 miles and then I'll go grab a different zone maybe mile 60 to 75 or something and cruise back and forth there for the rest of the day. Um, so it's not any more difficult, uh, than a right, you know, than a two loop course because if it's a two loop course or a three loop course like Arizona, I'm still going to have my one group, right. that I manage for the whole 112 miles. So if right. I'm doing Arizona and I have the, you know, pros one through 18 or whatever, I'm going to stay with them for three loops and then when they go in to start the run i'll just do another two loops so i'll just keep looping it so okay the logistics are a little different but it's not any more difficult because you still have your focus with the start of the race of who you're going to manage um for their entire for their right. entire race all right,
1: all right i'm gonna go deep on you here jay so What is, what's your solution to the drafting challenges we have? I was going to ask that.
0: (laughs) So there's a couple of ways that this can be looked at. The first of which is, you know, and, and this isn't saying that there should or shouldn't be, but there's no license to race triathlon as an amateur. To legally drive your automobile, and this is, of course, legally, right? Anyone can get in a car and figure it out, but to legally drive your automobile you need to have a license. The thing that we, or at least I've found officiating more times than not, when I hand out penalties is that people didn't know that they were breaking the rules. Right. I give someone a drafting penalty and they're like, I'm not drafting. I'm like three feet away from the person. And I'm like three feet is a little close for the rules, but they just hands down didn't know. And so when I see them after the race, If it's a, if it's a 70.3 and, you know, and you happen to see people after the race, they're like, Hey, what happened? And I'm like, so here's what the drafting rule is. And we have meetings that, you know, we say are required, but if people don't show up, they don't know, they don't read the rules. It's, you know, people think of triathlon as literally three sports, right? Swim, bike, run. They don't necessarily think about practicing transitions or nutrition or recovery, but rules are also an enormous part of the race especially if you're a competitive athlete. Um, Elliot, I can see all your trophies in the background. So obviously you're a fast (laughs) athlete and Colin just just (laughs) had a decent day in Florida. So you know, you guys spend the time to know the rules because you don't want it to cost you a trip to a championship event. There's a lot of people that don't spend that time. And so finding a way to educate, which is you know, a driver of one of the things we're doing, but education is a huge, huge element of helping the drafting. Um,
1: that's a really good point. I didn't know that you're going to go that way with it, and I think that's a good answer. <laughs>
0: yeah, because I honestly, I mean, I'd say 90% of the penalties I give, it's education.
1: Yeah, Right. Just lack of understanding, right.
0: You know, yeah. if someone hucks a water bottle into the trees, and I give them a blue card because it's intentional drafting or I'm sorry, intentional littering, littering they yeah. didn't realize that they couldn't do that. Now you shouldn't be littering anyways, but they just, they, it, it's so much education more than anything else.
1: <laughs> oh, we have another guest on our podcast.
0: It looks like we do. <laughs> oh, wow,
1: she's going to take off. All right, good. Ruby tried mm-hmm. to say hello here, but uh, we'll keep it rolling here.
2: So Jay, do you do you like target certain like do you I mean of course you look you officiate like the pro like lead fields but I mean do you target any of like the the front of the pack age groupers more than just everyone else out there or I mean is it just we, kind of across the board? We try to space
0: it out as evenly as possible. So okay. if if I have ten officials at Saint George seventy point three you know, it's, it might be depending on what the pro field looks like, right. If it's the North, this year, it's the North American championship. So there might be 40 male pros and 40 female pros, you know, I'm going to have two or three on the males and two or three on the females and then space it out um, towards the back. Mm -hmm. But the great thing about it is that because motorcycles obviously go so much faster than bicycles, with the front of the pack male pros going whatever 205 on that course, as soon as that front of the pack, um, referee is done, they can peel around and go to the back. Um, so, you know, we're, we're certainly because the the thing we don't want to have happen is let's say that you're a three hour cyclist, but you're a 108 runner right and those are obviously extremes but yep. what we don't want to happen is 30 people come up and say hey athlete 453 was drafting all day and we look at the results and we're like well yeah he had a three hour, Oh my gosh he had a 108 run we missed something so we try to officiate the entire field fairly equally mm-hmm. because what we don't want to happen is you're not the strongest cyclist, but you might be drafting and kind of hiding. And then you light it up on the run because your legs are fairly fresh. So certainly the pros are going to get some, some focused love, but we try to space it out and, and be as equal to everyone as possible. Yeah. Like my day gets better as the day goes on, right? I'm a mediocre swimmer, a decent cyclist and a better runner than I am a cyclist. So if I'm sitting there drafting where no one's because no one's looking at me, and then I go and run an, a phenomenal 5K off the bike, you know, there's going to be a lot of upset people. Good point.
2: Do you find it so it's a little better as far as people not drafting with the staggered? starts in in racing now i mean even in hawaii it's kind of all it's broken up in age groups and
0: yeah this this the, the swim the, the swim safes uh, starts um i i forget that the exact terminology yeah. that we're using now but yeah i have found that that really does ha- break it up especially with places like hawaii right yeah. where everybody's fast yeah so you know if you look at the field and i'll make up the actual percentage but you know in Kona, if 60% of the field comes out of the water in an hour and 15 or less, and they're all doing a mass start, it's going to be really hard to force them to break up and not draft and still be able to race. Yeah. So by putting the fields in, you know, making multiple, multiple fields, it has made a huge difference on people being able to, to still race and not be concerned with, how to get out of the draft areas? Yeah.
1: Cool. Nice. So let's talk. Uh, so you were with Rudy for a long time. Um, then I'm sorry, Xterra. Then Rudy, and then now at base. And so, yeah. what do you what do you feel like? Um, obviously, you enjoy being part of the industry. Um, that means you're with all those. You were going to a lot of different races, right? And yeah, absolutely. And stuff like that. So like you're on the road a lot. And all kind of in the Ironman mix a lot, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It was it was fan. It, it's fantastic. Like, I mean, you know, I'm not racing longer course much anymore. I might jump in a 70.3 or two here and there, but I'm not racing long course much. But you know, like I said when I when we were first starting, like my favorite part of race season is literally seeing all my friends. Like, I can work an expo for. A week straight and just enjoy every minute of it because, you know, of course we're introducing products and educating people and, you know, helping keep people, people, keep, keep people into the sport. But the cool thing is, you know, like running into you at Santa Rosa last year, right? we have been right. virtual friends for years, but living 3000 miles away, it's not like we're like, Hey, let's go grab a beer someday. Exactly. But at some point our paths cross because of all the races and that's the cool thing. And that's what I love about being in the industry is going to all the races and meeting people that I know virtually that I've worked with or seeing the people that I have known, right. That I moved away from either new England or now Southern California Um, being a thousand miles away from Southern California, bumping into people at just different races is, is a blast for me.
1: Yeah, that is uh, a bit envious there for sure. Being at uh, all around that all the time and things, it's got to be fun. Um, But I mean, at the same time, does it, does it wear on you? It doesn't really get old to you at all? It hasn't
0: yet. I mean, it's also keeping me uh, inherently single, but uh, (laughs) other than that, um, you know, I think it's more of a a single man's uh, or a single woman's game because, you know, like. You've got your awesome kids and, and your wife, and I don't think she'd be thrilled if you were on the road 38 weeks in a row. <laughs> right? Last year I was on the road from April 1st to December 14th, every weekend except for two. And one of those weekends, I was working Boulder 70.3. So you know, wow. it, it, I loved every minute of it, but it, it, it makes it tough to, to have a, you know a loving family. Or, uh, you know, at least have a relationship of any kind.
1: (laughs) Uh, Totally. No, that's I didn't realize it was that much. That is a lot, man.
0: I mean, combined with, you know, because of officiating in Latin America or the IT officiating, like, it was just races, but it wasn't all base-related. Like, I was – some of it I brought on myself for sure. Um, But I love, again – I love every minute of it. I love helping the sport grow in Latin America and watching that process is a, is amazing because, you know, the, the, the way they're racing, um, you know, not speed wise, but just the way the events are being held. It, it's just awesome to see how much it's progressing and, you know, it's people do so much, um, you know, racecations now that it's, it's, it's fantastic to see like, hey i never thought of going to lima for any reason let's go race peru 70.3 i know i mean
2: my wife and i were just having that conversation it's like i only we only travel when we go to races and like it it's hard to like pick some place to go if there's no
0: racing going on so that's why i
2: really did not go anywhere last year
0: yeah but in (laughs) 2019 like I was oh, we on went everywhere, yeah. all the time. And it was, it's fantastic. Cause you make new friends, you make all, and we live in such a social world now that it's so easy to stay in touch. Right. Like, Hey, you know, you know, talk, let's talk COVID a little bit. Like if people are like, I wonder what's happening. I'm like, hold on. <laughs> I'll call my friend in Peru or Ecuador or Chile and just like, get them on the phone and be like, okay, so how are you guys doing? Like you genuinely care about these people, but you can get on the ground information and just you build these relationships. And so that's kind of cool too. you know, using social media for our advantage. And, you know, there's so many positives that can come from social media, but one of it is certainly like, you know, if you meet people in Penticton, right? Now you've got a bunch of Canadian friends that you yep. meet, because <laughs> of social media, you can stay in touch with them far easier right like none of not a lot of us are going to pick up a piece of paper and stay in touch with pen pals anymore but with social media it's so easy and it's so cool
1: yeah yeah it is yeah i'm definitely one of those people that likes to stay in touch and see what people are doing and stuff like that i think that's that's great but uh tell me a little bit more about latin american racing like what would you say like the atmosphere overall like it is like or how long have you been the head official for that or like been, been going to Latin American races?
0: I've been going to Latin American races for two years, I've, you okay. know, uh, or three years rather. Um, but been a head official down there um, since twenty eighteen. Yeah. Um, so I so guess I mean, is there a, is there a different vibe down there, or what? There's a there's a different vibe in the fact that it's it's like the community literally loves everything about it, um, and there's a lot more um you know i'm not sure how it happens but there's a lot more uh controlled environments so like if you have a race in peru a perfect example like they just shut down a highway like they
1: don't care yeah they just
0: they're like okay this race is coming we're gonna shut down this road (laughs) and if you're like if you need to get somewhere figure it out like but like they it's such a safe environment like every time I do a race there you know I was in Coquimbo Chile in 2019 I was in Peru I was in Ecuador like I was in Colombia for Cartagena like everywhere that I was for these races I just felt so safe because the government's just like okay cool there's this race coming we know, and I think part of it is because they don't have as many locals that are doing the sport, so they really want to put on, you Good know, put show. their best foot forward, right. right? You know, it might be a bunch of other South Americans, but there's also a bunch of Europeans and Asians and uh, people from North America coming in, and they're like, all right, cool, what do we have to do? And the races are just so, like, everything about it, like, they just, they, they roll out the red carpet. And not to say that they don't do that here, but like shutting down the Diagonal Highway entirely in Boulder is very, very difficult, right? Or showing, shutting down Highway 36, just it's a very difficult Big thing end. to make yeah, happen right. sure. um, there. They just, you know, if, if the mayor can't get it to happen, then they go to the governor and they make it happen. Like, it's just, it, it's amazing to see how different it is, but it's also, you know, some of these areas are not as populated as areas that we have in the US. So it's probably a bit easier, um, but they're just, everybody's excited to see you. Like, it's just, it's, it's really, really interesting.
1: And so like, do, you speak, I, do you speak Spanish, Jerry? Uh,
0: uh, enough to get by, <laughs> yeah. enough to be dangerous to understand. Like, I, <laughs> I understand it better than I speak it, but it, okay. um, know with last year being an off year i i didn't take as much of an opportunity to to stay sharp as i could have so that's that's my new off time now as well
1: yeah but i mean it's pretty much expected that everybody's going to be speaking english and so forth as far as you know communication
0: i mean they they speak enough to be dangerous as well Um, typically their english is better than a lot of our spanish so it's like any other foreign country if you make the effort then they'll switch to English because they know they speak English better than I speak Spanish. So as long as I don't walk in there and I'm like, hi, I'm Jay. What's your name? Like making no effort at all. They've always been so incredibly friendly and gracious. That's cool. Yeah.
1: It's like a lot of fun. I've been. I've been tempted to, uh, you know, try and get over to Europe at some point, but uh, maybe South America will be definitely be easier. I think uh, it sounds pretty tempting there. That's
0: cultful. Yeah. I mean the flight, I mean, you being on the East coast, you know, Boston, to Germany or Boston, to, you know, you can get to Europe pretty darn easily as well. Right. Um, True. It's just, it's, all, I, you know, I think that if you have the means racing internationally, just gives you a new perspective of where the sport is and the passion for the sport. Um, And I think that that's one of the other really cool things is seeing everywhere in the world and how just the passion and the addiction to the sport, that's one of those things, you know, it's, it's like a common language. Everybody gets it. Like you can be a triathlete anywhere in the world and people are like, Oh, you're crazy. Cool. Let's talk.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. Nice. All right. Um, So let's, let's talk a little bit about base here. Um, Let's, let's give give the company a little promotion here. Uh, I'm certainly a big fan of some of their products, but uh, what do you guys got on the table these days?
0: Yeah. I mean, um, you know, if you've done a 70.3 in Ironman, everybody knows about the electrolyte salt. Um, The, it, the, the way it's been developed through the sports scientists and the uh, exercise physiologists, but also how it's absorbed, um, sublingual, right? Under your tongue. It's the fastest way to absorb something other than an IV. So it just is incredibly effective. But we have so many other products, um, bars that taste great, gels that are you know, easy to consume and our sport drink that has a mild flavor. Like the reason I like all of our products is because they're mild and easy to eat um, and they're all natural. It's super easy to pronounce ingredients like our bars, if you actually had the recipe of what amounts of product to use, you could literally make it from a Whole Foods or a King Supers. Like you can go get the almonds and the cranberries and the lime and literally the honey and just make it in a blender if you had the recipe. And those all natural, easy to pronounce ingredients. Um, organic, make- right?
1: Aren't the bars are organic, right?
0: The, yeah, they're non-GMO, organic, um, kosher, soy-free, dairy-free, um, Dairy, right? yeah. and, and, and except for the honey, right? Some vegans eat honey, some don't, um, but except for the honey, they're vegan as well. So, uh, you know, they 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 check off a lot of boxes, but I mean, I snack on probably at least one a day just in the middle of the day if I'm hungry because- they just don't have any fillers in them and they just taste good.
1: I agree. Um, Yeah. So I, I got turned on. I'll definitely, uh, give a shout out for the, I mean, the salt is, is awesome. And definitely, uh, like, um, Jay said, there is a great way to consume it and just is, I'm an, I'm a huge, huge fan of making sure we're getting adequate salt when we're racing. And, uh, it's just imperative for, for optimal racing, in my opinion. And then uh, those bars are darn tasty. Yeah, I uh, I may be having about one a day myself here, Jay. I uh, I've got a pretty good stash and uh, enjoy them thoroughly. So uh, good. Yeah,
0: glad to hear it
1: for sure. So cool. So uh, one thing we talked about the other day offline that I, I think is an interesting perspective is uh, um, what do you you know nobody knows obviously the future here, but uh, what do you think is going to happen with racing and in particular with Kona this year? What do you what do you think the probability is here?
0: Yeah, I mean I don't know what the probability is, but I think that you know, being a championship race and you know, I I can flip it over to you, right, Real, just as a question to to support where my thought process is going. But you qualify for Kona, you want to race the best in the world, right? Absolutely. So, if you're one of seven people in your age group and obviously there are far more than that. But if you're one of seven people in your age group, and you do you know, fantastic and you win, at the end of the day, you're kind of scratching your head and you're like, where was everybody else, right? So I think everybody wants racing this to fill up the championship event so that when we have the athletes such as yourself, you're not walking away saying yeah, I'm the best in the world. I'm one of seven. When you know that your age group usually has 130 athletes per race. Right. So the the goal is to get other races off the ground, I think so that Kona has a stacked field like it always has. Yeah. No, you, you want to, you want to be going against 130, 140 athletes in your age group in Kona. Um, and to make that happen, they need more athlete you know more races to happen in the first place,
1: right, which means you know, hopefully a really you know or not really you know who knows exactly what we need, but getting those earlier season races to actually occur is a is a big factor in really being able to because there's so limited of people that have actually qualified already, right We need this to these races to go off in order for it to be legit, right
0: yeah. Because I mean, everybody wants racing to get back. I mean, Andrew Messick from the, all the way down, um, to whoever the lowest person on the totem pole is, everybody wants racing to get going again, you know, in the safest manner possible, but especially because some people have already qualified for those championship events. And we want to make sure that we give you guys the best field possible so that you're racing, you know, the best in the world.
1: Ellie, you got any questions here?
2: Mm, so now that we're friends, Jay, if you see me out in the bike course and I'm a little <laughs> too close to calling, are you gonna hand me a card? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Good answer. That was Good a test and you passed.
0: <laughs> Actually, it's a really funny story. So this is that's a great segue. So <laughs> I my <laughs> Matt Miller, the my boss, right?
1: Owner of base, yeah. Right, Owner of yeah.
0: base. Um at the time, it was his girlfriend. Um, she then became his fiance and now wife, and they've got two beautiful children. But um, Boulder Full, uh, she was racing, and I had never met her. I just had talked to her on the phone, you know, got her a wetsuit at Xterra and all this stuff. And I see this person drafting, and I can't get up, and I get up to her. And I, because I knew what race team she was on her, and I kind of knew what she looked like. I immediately was like, oh, no. <laughs> like, number whatever, 531, blue card for drafting. And she looks at me, and I'm like, oh, maybe she won't recognize me. But I am a fairly unique-looking <laughs> individual. I can't really hide in the crowd unless well, I'm at a basketball the full, game. You didn't
1: have the full helmet on?
0: I had the I, – I, I mean, I did, but there's still, I still don't really hide well.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: all right. So I get done with the bike course. I get down onto the run course and I'm just helping out in special needs. And she runs by and I'm like, Oh good. Maybe I can get in good graces. So she's like, I hand her a special needs and she looks at me and she's like, give me a penalty, huh? And I'm like, <laughs> Oh, she saw me. And this was, I don't know, four years ago, five years ago, still comes up. I was going like, to say, oh. am
1: not going to let you live that one down. Huh? Well,
0: so yeah, Elliot, you have no chance of getting away without a penalty <laughs> if my future boss's girlfriend couldn't get away with it.
1: Oh, man. Well, good for you. Yeah, that's that's is tricky. And uh, yeah, I've done some officiating before, and uh, there's been a few times where uh, I've been coming up or knowing and the person is just like please don't have any issues here you know
0: (laughs) yeah but i mean you know when you're active in the sport i mean it's hard to not run into people you know like i'll be on the motorcycle and i'm just like you know if i pull up behind i see a peak fitness and i'm just like oh god it's tall come on (laughs) don't draft for like the next two minutes just don't draft and then i can ride by and be like Colin, have a great race and I can keep going. But, like, I mean, I, you know, you know, I, you know enough people on the course that you're just like, okay. But I, I mean, my friends I can only also imagine know. for you. Yeah. Huh?
1: I can only imagine for you how many contacts you have with being around the sport so much. It's got to be uh, plentiful there for sure.
0: Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, it, it's, it's, it, it, at least my, the friends that I've gotten, the people I know, they're like, yep. Yeah, if anybody's going to give me a penalty, Jay would have no problem doing it. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Well,
2: that's people what like, you want to hear out of an official.
0: I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah. People are like, don't give me a penalty. I'm like, then don't draft. It's much easier that way.
1: <laughs> that's for sure. That for sure. Yeah. So what do, you, what do you think about, you know, USAT and Ironman having different distances and kind of slightly different rules and things? Do you think that's warranted or do you think that they should be more standardized?
0: Well, Funny you should say that, because they've been working on that for about a year and a half, two years now, and they are working for it. There's a a harmonization team um, between, so World Triathlon, which not World Triathlon Corp, but World Triathlon um, rebranded from ITU, right? So for ease of terminology, we'll just use their old moniker of ITU and then WTC and USAT. But they are all—they've all been meeting for at least 18 months now um, for rules harmonization, so that it's easier for everyone: officials, race directors, participants, the whole nine yards, so that there's one set of rules, right? And you know, if if Ironman were to decide to get back into short course races, they would use. The short course races that USAT and ITU are using, and so there, there definitely is a, a focus. Um, Jimmy Riccatello's on it. Deb Wilson's on it from USAT. Um, you know Thanos Nikopoulos from uh, ITU. There's a whole group of people working on this so that it it's better for everybody. So that you're not, you know, because if you go and race in Germany those rules may or may not be the same as your Ironman rules at Florida. Sure. So the goal is to, to globally harmonize it so that everybody knows, okay, I'm racing an Ironman in the Philippines or I'm racing it in Florida or I'm racing it in Florianopolis or, you know, in Lanzarote, it's all the same. And so that's the goal. Um, that's way above my pay grade, but it's something that I I fully agree with, and I think it's fantastic exactly. that they're they're doing it and they're all talking to each other.
1: Yeah, I mean, especially when you go back to education, right? And uh, you know how the adding that extra level of complexity, you know, doesn't do any any favors, right?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, a perfect example is, um, you know, USAT's elite rules up until this year were different; they had different elements of right. it. Yep. right? Line of sight and all, you know, all sorts of different rules. And so last year at Challenge Daytona, you had athletes from around the world, right? Even Lionel Sanders had never raced he, an elite level USAT sanctioned race, right? Before Challenge Daytona, it was pretty much the big focus was Wildflower. Um, but if you had never raced Wildflower, there weren't a lot of pro- races that would have used these rules. And so you know, I'm in the pro briefing explaining these rules, and you had all of these athletes that were elites that had never raced an elite level rules race in the USAT, and they had no idea what we were talking about. And it was just a challenge to overcome it, to explain these rules to them, um, so that that harmonization makes it especially, it's important for everybody, but the pros always have a couple extra rules, um, you know. Slip, sure. for example, with Ironman, it's slipstreaming and slotting. Yeah. But USAT had some variations on things like that, and um, it 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 makes it challenging for everybody because if you get in the mindset of racing a certain style of racing, and you guys know better because you're really racing, right? You're you're on the rivet and you know the difference between 11 meters and 13 meters, and you're used to racing in that specific position. And if it all of a sudden changed up to 20 meters because you went and raced Challenge Roth, there's a good chance you're going to end up with a drafting penalty and doing an extra kilometer as well. So, right. you know, those, th- that's the element that it can be challenging is, is not only for everybody, but also the, the elites and the, the people that are really racing on the rivet.
1: Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned Challenge Daytona. I was actually going to ask you about that race. Uh, would you be, uh, if they asked you, would you be game to officiate such what I would consider to be a challenging race to officiate?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it, having officiated in Kona for a bunch of years, um, you know, the, the, the spacing and the understanding of how it works is a comfort level that I have. And if they had asked me to do it, uh, I would have. I had uh, other officiating duties that day um with uh something that pto is is driving is uh the um is called technology fraud and it's something that itu does um but we were taking bikes apart uh looking for you know technology motors um you know because um you know there's chemical doping right which is drug which is you know Found with drug testing, but mechanical doping doesn't have any impact if you're not actually using the motor, but if it has a, you know, if you have the motor in there, there's an, there's certainly an unfair advantage. And so um, I wasn't asked to officiate Challenge Daytona, but I also had, I would have had to say no anyways, because of the mechanical doping that I was leading the charge on. So I had a team of mechanics and you know, we had waivers signed and we put a whole protocol together um, and we took apart uh, 40 bikes, 20 male pro bikes and 20 female pro bikes. Um,
1: and so that straight 50. up, like literally taking off all the components pretty much. I mean, I got to figure you got to, without cutting the frame open, that's really the only, you got to have to take, how does that work?
0: Yeah. So um, we weighed the wheels, so... We have, you know, I I have a a book of all the wheels, right? If you're using a disc, you know, and it is supposed to weigh seventeen hundred and thirty grams, and it weighs it weighs two thousand grams.
1: Yeah.
0: Now we've got an issue. Um, We, you know, looking at the cranks and whether or not the cranks moved unassisted, and um, we took the cranks out and the seat posts out and. We had cameras and um, I videoed it, the entire process because if we got to anything where we may have found a motor, we would have stopped the process entirely and waited for the athlete to finish the race and done the rest of the inspection with them present yeah. so that if we found anything, they were there for it. But I, you know, we videoed everything. There was documentation. So have you um, ever found anything? No, but that's the goal. Yeah yeah that's good like the the goal really for officiating is, you know in my mind is to create the fairest and safest race possible i would love to go away to walk away from races with no penalties Mm -hmm. and because of the waiver process um fully because again since there's no advantage if you don't use the motor like with chemical doping right if you take a specific whatever it is and you stop taking it six months ago, there still might be some advantage there. If you want to train with a motor up until the day before the race come race day, there's going to be no advantage. Right? So the goal of the mechanical doping protocol is yeah. If Colin wants to use a motor up until he drives down to Atlantic city, 70.3, and he takes the motor out of his bike before driving down, I'm cool with that. Um, there's nothing illegal again about that, and it doesn't actually help him um, on race day. So we didn't find anything, uh, and that was the goal. Yeah. We, we There was no surprises that we were going to be there. There was no surprise on how we were doing it, and we didn't find anything. So it's fantastic.
1: That's good. I had no idea you guys did that.
0: That's yeah. That,
1: I mean – I don't know, I still just, I, I hear, actually, it's funny, just the other day, my mom told me she's interested in getting an e-bike, you know, whatever, and uh, um, I can't wrap my, wrap my head around it, and like, I don't know, They I hear they're a lot of fun and things like that, and it's a little bit different angle here, but uh, they're definitely a thing, and I think it only introduces the likelihood of something like this happening sooner than later here, right?
0: Right, yeah, I mean, some of them are just, you know, the, the technology behind it with, Formula One, you know, engineers going over to help the process. Um, you know, the technology is is growing quickly. But yeah, I mean, e-bikes—they in the, of themselves, if they help get more people into the sport, as long as they're not using them on race day, right? If your mom's never been a cyclist in her entire life, and she's interested in an e-bike, that's awesome. Like, it's getting her outside and. She's still going to have to do some work. So it's, it's awesome. I think right. it's fantastic. It's just with it, you know, people will inherently, you know, be driven to try to find ways around the system. And so we're just trying to make sure that the playing field is as level as possible for you guys.
1: Totally. Oh, that's cool. Very glad to hear that. It's good. Cool. All right. Well, we're coming up about time here. Um, anything else you'd like to throw out there, Jay?
0: No, nah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm as excited, even though I don't race as much as everybody else, I'm just as excited as anybody to get back to the racing. And, uh, yeah, I really appreciate the kindness that you guys have with inviting me on. It's been wonderful to chat.
1: Yeah, no, that was uh, very. very oh, I have,
0: I have uh, one more question. So you've, you've seen, I mean, I have
2: never done a race outside of North America and you've got, you've experienced races worldwide. Do you see the popularity of the sport increasing or, I mean, what does the outlook look like and how important is it that
0: races, racing resumes this year? Um, you know, I, I think that A, the sport, so the, the population of triathletes in the U.S. is far higher than pretty much anywhere else, but I see the growth trajectory elsewhere in the world growing by leaps and bounds um, I think the I, I see the excitement I see people finding ways to to train and build community uh, I think that racing resuming is extraordinarily important because it's such a social sport for so many people yeah right so many people, are not at the pointy end, which is why it's called the pointy end of the spectrum, right? There are only so many people that can be super fast. For everybody else, it's a social environment. And if the races aren't happening, people like myself aren't getting to see all of our friends. Um, You're
1: going to look for alternatives, right? And you know? then the
0: alternatives will be found. So I, I think that it, it's important as it's as important as ever for racing to resume in a safe manner because of the social aspect of it. It's people aren't, are people want to train, but they want to train so that they can go race and they want to race because they want to see their friends. Right. It's, you know, I have no concept of grandeur of qualifying for 70.3 worlds, or if I race another Ironman of going to Kona, I want to do races. Cause I want to see all my friends and yeah. I mean a race is you know, something you look
2: forward to. Uh, I mean, it can be racing. It could be, I mean, what you like doing. I mean, I think it's just missed and going to almost two years without it, it's going to be hard if it doesn't happen. No, I
0: totally agree. Before. But I mean, you know, we, you know, we meet people from all over when we race and we yeah. stay in touch with those people and we look forward to seeing them again. And That's the part I think that is missing most from racing because training is such a solitary environment, right? I'm going to go get on my trainer after we get off this call and tomorrow I'm going to run on a treadmill again by myself. I'm doing it because I love the sport and I want to be fit, but the other side of that is I can't wait for races to start up again so I can see my friends. And certainly, I don't say hi to him when I'm actually racing. But the before and the after is the exciting. Why not? Well,
1: you know, hopefully, if uh, somebody get, tries to give you a high five, you would actually, you know, <laughs> respond and receive. That. Yeah. See, Jay's
2: but, like me. I'm serious when I'm racing,
0: unlike you. <laughs> well, Colin, if you tried to give me a high five, I'd have to jump, and then I'd probably <laughs> yeah. I can't me. even. Like, I'm the same. way. I need like a low five <laughs> from you.
1: Well, sorry, you don't know the inside stories there, but uh, <laughs> when Elliot and I both did Ironman Canada one year, uh, I tried to give him a high five out on the run course, and he totally ghosted me. Uh, so. Is that
0: because he knew he couldn't reach? Yeah, like, I'm only 5'6". I can't
1: but... – I'm 5'6". I can't – oh, I got to yeah, send you that. are
0: the same height. Like, if Colin you do up, a... <laughs> he's, like, nine feet up.
2: <laughs> Colin and I had the best picture after after a race in Hawaii. We were, like, standing up right next to each other, and I look like – complete midget but it was yeah funny i got to show you the picture
0: (laughs) i can probably send you a similar one from when we met last year in santa rosa i think we did the exact same picture
1: (laughs) oh boy good deal all right well jay thanks so much for being on here uh definitely hoping that uh gonna see you in person uh sometime soon here
0: absolutely i look forward to it gentlemen thank you so much for your time tonight cool
1: all right everybody uh, till next time we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon.
0: Look forward to it. Have a great night guys.